Miracy. And bringing that rigor and that type of data analysis to the process is a really interesting and, and valuable way to approach it. And, and I think it's something we haven't talked about as much in previous conversations. Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eaney, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey, Danny. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and creator who is doing something really interesting, either with the architecture of their course or the business model behind it, or both. Our guest today is a good friend of mine, Dave Lacani. Dave is an award-winning author, an expert consultant, and the CEO of Bold Approach. Dave, so glad you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. So you've got a hell of a backstory, and let's do the the abridged version in terms of who are you and what do you do and how did you come to be doing the work that you're doing, and particularly what was the road from the work in general to the world of online courses specifically? It's a, you're right. It is a, it's a long and meandering path, so I'll make it short. Um, I was raised in a cult from the time I was six until I was 16 and left when I was 16. And that started a study of persuasion and human influence that has lasted the rest of my life. And during that time, I became very fascinated by how people learn and what they're interested in learning about. And then also in how I might take some of those experiences that I'd had post cult around persuasion and turning those into repeatable processes that people could use. And so built a number of courses clear back in the day when courses literally were sent every week by postal mail. And so people would get a new edition of the course every month. Also, how I got my college degree, that was sort of my first experience with course learning. So when I started building courses, I wanted to make sure that people had the best possible experience they could and they could learn the most from them. And so that also became a study then in how do adults learn and how do people consume information and how can you use it, which ultimately led me to building my own courses. And now in my digital marketing agency that I own, in addition to Bold Approach, we build courses for clients. And so many of our clients don't have the technical wherewithal or capacity to build courses. So we do that for them. And that is everything from actually creating the course itself, doing the research, making sure that they are properly validated, annotated. And and most of our clients are in the health and wellness field. So we want to make sure that everything is very clean and clear all the way through the technical side of it, putting it on a platform and helping them market it. So hopefully that was concise enough and not too long. No, it's fascinating. So you're essentially, and I'm kind of looking narrowly at the work you do in the context of courses, because of course, Mm -hmm. your agency works much more broadly, or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're like an outsourced to a certain extent, marketing department and operations department. But in, in this particular context, you're essentially the outsourced course development, you know, chief learning officer, like that whole function. Is that right? That's right. So we have people on our team who like I said, do everything from research to implementation to sales and marketing of the courses for the client. Awesome. So let's talk about all of those phases in the process. So it it would be really interesting to get a look into how you approach a project like this, right? What is your process? So the first thing we do actually is we take one step back from that and we say, is this a viable 
piece of business to add to your existing business? You know, is this something that your clients are interested in? So we start usually with a survey of the audience and ask them questions about whether or not they would be interested in this information, what other information they might be interested in. And sometimes you get really great ideas from that to include in the course if we move forward. And, you know, then we also do some determinations around what they would be willing to pay and those kinds of things to understand the pricing strategy and then make sure that it makes good business sense to go ahead and create the course. Once that piece is done, then we sit down with the subject matter expert who generally is the person who is running the business and we start gathering information from them. What do they hope to get? You know, what do they hope to tell people in the course? What do they hope for people to learn? What are the outcomes people should have as a result of taking the course? And how will their lives be changed as a result of having consumed this information? And in what meaningful ways? And then in what ways might we also encourage them to learn more, take more courses that we might create in the future? So we start gathering that information. And from that, we create, we basically create an outline of the ideas that they'd like to create in the course. We take that outline and then we validate it with our initial set of research. So we go through information that they've published in the past. We go through a uh, series of research criteria to look at the overall topic and the subject and say, you know, what are the gaps that are missing in here that this person didn't talk about yet, that they haven't already created information about that doesn't already exist? And then we decide, do we need to do, you know, do we need to create information? Do we need to do interviews? Are there infographics that need to be created? What other kinds of learning support material do we want to create in this? And then again, in those gaps, what do we need to provide in order to be able to make this course as complete and useful as possible? So the courses end up being very detailed in what they're doing. One example that we just completed is a course that was a it's a fertility course. And then I would put like a little asterisk at the end of that and say it's a fertility course for plant-based dieters. So whether you're a vegan, vegetarian, plant-forward, whatever your dieting process is or your eating style, this course is focused on those people who fall into the plant-based eating style because they have particular challenges that don't necessarily exist for other people. And the person who we were creating the course for is one of the foremost experts on veganism and vegetarianism in the United States. They had a great deal of information. And we were able to take that information, begin to build that course using the outline that we talked about. But what we discovered was there was actually three courses, not one there. So there was a pre-fertility course, a preparations course. There was the fertility section. And then there was a postpartum section. There were also sections in there that we hadn't considered for example, what does your partner do? What if your partner doesn't eat the same way as you? How do those things affect it? So as we started discovering these things, we started creating a course that turned out to be much bigger than we initially anticipated, which affected everything from our pricing structure to who would buy the course when and how we would market it. How formulaic versus bespoke is this process? Like, for example, when you're doing the research, I imagine the initial research is you've got a template or typical questions that you'll ask. But then when you get the data back and you're analyzing, are you doing some pattern matching to say, in our experience, it works well when we're talking about a course of this type at this price range? And so you're kind of validating, does the market want it or not? Or are you really kind of blank slate? What does the market want? Let's figure it all out from scratch. It's kind of a combination of the two, but I would say it was more heavily weighted in the latter. So 
what we are trying to do is it, it is a completely bespoke course generally, and we're trying to validate upfront that there is a market. We're trying to, through the research, understand if there is enough unique information that is available that people would be willing to pay for or that could be built in a way that people would be willing to pay for that we can use, create, and deliver. Because a lot of things online now are free, obviously, and there's a lot of information there. And sometimes there are many courses that are also just repackaged free information. And so we're looking to add something that is unique and different and add some validity to it that doesn't exist in that other kind of information. So once we've done that, we then begin packaging it into unique pieces that will help people learn along the way. And that also may inform, if we didn't already have enough information, how much we'll charge for the course. But we're trying to build a course that people would want to pay for, that would provide them with information that is more detailed than they could find for free online. And that is built in a way that allows them to learn in a meaningful way. Awesome. And what's the business model from your perspective? Like, is this a you know flat fee for service? Is this a you build it and they pay you a little bit upfront and a percentage of revenue as you go? Like, how do you structure that if if that's something you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, of course. So generally, when we do these, it is a fee based course. So we charge for all of this, and we do it based on a bid. So we take a look at the course. We look at and see what's available and decide how much work this is going to take, how much client interaction there will be. Many times clients want to be heavily involved in the process and they'll make a lot of edits. And based on our estimation of the client and our experience with them in the past, that you know helps determine what that rate will be. But it's generally a fixed fee or a fixed fee plus hourly editing rate. And in some cases we will partner with the client and take a percentage of the sales, but that's I would say less than 10% of the clients we work with. And does that partnership happen as in, you know, you've worked with them and it worked well and it's like, hey, we could do more? Or is that like, is that how it's structured from the beginning? It is structured from the beginning that way if we know the client well. Of course, a lot of clients want us to risk with them on their course. And that's just not a thing that we generally do because there's many factors that we can't control once the course is built and we don't want to be in the position of, having to fund the marketing of their course and things like that if we don't already understand what their capacity is and have a longer-term relationship with them. Dave, just curious, you know, as, as you've been working with different types of clients and different niches and different types of courses over time, what trends have you been seeing in terms of what's most effective, right? Uh, you know, here on Course Lab, we're all about what makes courses really you know, stand out and, and succeed. So just curious what you've seen in terms of what's really working um, in terms of course design for your clients. So what we've really seen working lately and what's become more important is there's probably a better term for it, but the term that I use is sort of distributed learning in the sense that people want to be able to consume on multiple devices at multiple times and they want to have the ability to move fluidly from one uh, one device or one medium to the other. The other thing that we've noticed is that video has taken a very big forefront in learning. People want to watch video. They want things that are not just talking heads in the video, but they also want a very interactive experience in the video. So they're seeing examples or they're seeing information coming up on the screen that's more like they might see if they were in an actual classroom. And then I think the final thing is the length of training that people are willing to consume at a period of time. 
So we used to do longer periods of training where we would do 45 minute or hour long sort of classroom style trainings. And what we found is that the way that people are distracted currently and their attention spans are significantly shorter, like two to five minute, uh, maybe at the very outside, eight, nine minute chunks of learning with some particular outcome at the end of the lesson that they can say, I've checked that off, I've learned that thing, and now I'm ready for the next section. And so then they can consume those in bite-sized ways and build on that, as opposed to putting learning sort of in their court, where we say, we're giving you the information, you're responsible for parsing it out and taking away what you will. We're very process-oriented and trying to figure out what is the takeaway we want from each of these smaller chunks, which frankly is a lot harder to do. But I think that it's much more valuable to the student and the learner. You mentioned running surveys to inform like whether you should be creating the course in the first place and what its scope should be. Is there other types of research or other activities you're doing to assess how well things are working at the end, right? So, you know, for example, the things that you found working well, videos and smaller chunks of information, are you using surveys or interviews or other methods to try and figure out which of those are, are working best for people? That's a great question. We do. And we use it in a number of ways. So we have a series of beta testers that we will use that are outside the organization, but we start inside our organization and the client organization first. And so after we've produced, let's just say 10% of the content, we'll start having people review that internally in our organization and theirs and make sure that everybody is on board and they feel good about it. Then we'll release it to a series of beta testers to use and look at and give us feedback for. And so we use a combination of surveys, personal interviews, um, screen recording, and a few other tools to be able to really understand how they're engaging with the material. Once we know that, then we're able to say, we need to do more of this, more of that. We need to adjust this here. And we're also in like in the beta testing areas, we're also giving people quizzes throughout to see if they're actually understanding and retaining the information. And we try and find people who are really good fits and then people who are marginally good fits who are on the side who might have interest, but not necessarily the perfect candidate so that we see in in that whole spectrum where people perform and where we need to perform better in order to make sure that they're learning. And is that testing process all about refining the development or does it ever lead to an abort decision of like, actually, this course is not a good idea? Both. And so there's the tremendous refinement as we move forward. But what we will find oftentimes is that the client will say, this is way more work than I anticipated. And I don't think it's a good initiative for me right now. Because whatever we do requires an equal amount of time quite often on the client side of reviewing the content and the information that we create for them to make sure that it's in alignment with their beliefs and their knowledge and their processes and their procedures and the way they think about the world and the way they want the people who are consuming their information to think about the world. And so oftentimes what they'll find is they don't want to actually invest, you know, in some cases, literally could be hundreds of hours or certainly dozens of hours in reviewing video and content and making those sort of finite changes. So that's when it usually ends. And they'll say, you know, this just isn't a good initiative right now. But the ones who move forward, then it's it's a lot of refinement. And that refinement is really all about voice. How do we make sure this is the right voice of the client? Where we run into struggle sometimes is, and particularly in health, because there's a thousand varying opinions by scientists on virtually every aspect of health. 
is to try and find scientific validation, for example, for assertions that people make about how your body works or how a supplement works or something like that. It's interesting because I would say a lot of the people we've interviewed, certainly not everyone, but a lot of people we've interviewed, I would say, take kind of a more creative or intuitive approach to approaching and, and designing courses. And it kind of sounds like the theme of what you've been saying is that that you tend to take a more data-driven and, and scientific approach. And just wondering if that's a fair way to to sum it up. And also, if so, is that ever something you have to negotiate or is it a challenge to bring that mindset to your clients? I think it's a combination of both. And I agree with you, Abe, that we're probably more heavily directed on the data-driven, science-oriented side of course building. We have great respect for people who are good teachers and good teaching methodologies, and we try and incorporate those into the courses that we use where we can. But I think where the art comes into it is taking that data and really understanding how to help present it in a way, particularly if we're creating scripts, for example, for one of our clients. How do we make sure that we incorporate their personality and the way that they say things and the words that they use to make it easier for people who are consuming the information to understand and to make it engaging for them. So I think it's a combination of things, but I think your assessment is pretty accurate in terms of our approach. Dave, I have a question around how you define success when you set out to build a course. I mean, the areas in which you have operated that, that you've told us about, right? They're, they're in the health and wellness space, whether it's fertility. I know that you've been very involved in the sleep area as well. Mm -hmm. These are areas where people don't generally have uh, an academic curiosity interest, right? They, they don't want to learn about it just for fun. They want to learn about it because they want to you know, get pregnant. They want to sleep better. They want to get an outcome. Right. And that involves imparting information, but also behavior change, right? It's got to lead right. to actually doing something different. You know, I can read all the diet books in the world. If I don't change what I eat, then you know, it's not gonna it's not gonna change my my results. How do you think about the outcomes that you want a course to be able to deliver? And then what do you think about in terms of design approaches and things that you include and techniques and things like that to make that happen? So the way we think about it is we, we try and think of an avatar or a set of avatars, avatars just being a description of a compilation of a person, what kind of person might be consuming this information and how might they be impacted by it? And what is it that they really want out of it? I just had this conversation literally this morning with someone who was buying a course and they said, look, I just want to buy the course. I only want it for the information. I don't want to go through all the processes that are required to complete it as a behavior change outcome. So in this case, there were requirements to go on some Zoom meetings and provide some information ahead of time and meet with a coach along the way to help them better understand how to implement the information. They're like, I just want the information, right? Which is really more intellectual entertainment than it is actual learning from my perspective. So we have to always assume that there's a percentage of the people who are just buying the course because they want to kind of scan through it and be able to have water cooler talk about what they know about something versus people who are trying to get the actual outcome that the course was designed for. And so once we know that, we present the information in a way that is easy for all of them to consume. So a good example of this would be for the intellectual entertainment person, we're going to give the course sections very interesting names that they would say, oh, that's something that I know I really am interested in. And I want to watch this particular section of the course because it also has this interesting name that I want to learn about. And that way I can then say that I know something. 
versus the systematic learner who's trying to get the complete outcome, who's going through the processes, who's actually having their behavior changed or having their, you know, their experience changed in some significant way, it still applies. Like they're still interested in those interesting course sections and video names and all of that, but they're more focused on actually going through the process. So we'll add in for them mini quizzes. We will add in things like um, hidden bonus content inside the course itself once they've gone through something so that they, you know, get a little Easter egg that says, oh, I get to learn this special thing, or there's this piece of information or a tool I can use that's there. So we we want to create a little bit of that hidden desire and genuine surprise when they find something that they didn't know existed and they didn't feel like they knew they would get. And then it's also presenting the information again in a very systematic learning process so that they're able to take the information, they're able to use it in the way that's most valuable to them. So, you know, if we if we look at different learning styles, we're trying to present information in a way that would accommodate most people's learning styles. We're trying to present information in a way at a pace that would allow them to use whatever personal learning mechanism they use, whether it's note taking, whether it is repetition, whatever it is that they need to do to be able to consume this information and use it. We're trying to build that in and make it easy so that both of those two types of archetypes are fulfilled. And then if there's anything else, something very specific, like for example, when we were building the fertility course, the fertility course primarily focuses on women, but there were some sections that were related to men, what men can do to help support their wife's potentially new eating style or what they can do to help support reduction in stress, which helps with fertility and a number of other things like that. So we, we carved out sections for men only. And so then men were able to go through it and say, okay, we'll, we'll just watch these sections. And what we were also trying to do, though, is in those men-only sections was encourage the men to also broaden out and watch a few other sections that we knew would be valuable to them, but not allow that to be overwhelming to them. That was great. Dave, is there anything else that you want to make sure that you say that, you know, kind of we should have asked about but didn't? I think the biggest thing that people need to really consider is how exhaustive this process is. I mean, it can be fairly simple if you just want to set up and record some screen videos and show people how to do something. I think that's one approach. But I think if you really are trying to build a course that is going to be really worthwhile to people, valuable from a sales perspective so that you can earn enough from it and really change people so that you create a word of mouth sort of referral to your courses, it it does take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And it's not inexpensive whether you hire someone or you do it yourself. You need to put the effort and the time and as much money into it as you can in order to create the best possible product you can. And then at some point, you're going to iterate on all of that and make it better and better and better. But I think the important thing is start where you can, create the best possible course that you can, because it is very worthwhile to create courses because you you really can change people's life, their world, and their experience of it with your unique knowledge. and. I think that's becoming only more obvious now as traditional college, Danny, you've written about this so much, but as traditional college educations and our traditional learning institutions are sort of reorganizing themselves, or in some cases, even falling apart, people are looking for faster, better, more unique ways to gain the information that's uniquely important to them so that they can have an outcome in their life that they want. And I think courses do that brilliantly. And I think that you do it teaching people how to do this better than anyone. So I think those are the only other things I would have to say. 
Thank you very much. This was great. This was fascinating and it's going to make a really great episode. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm glad I could be helpful. Abe, do you want to do the readout? Dave Lacani is an award-winning author and a recognized expert in business growth strategy. You can find out more about him and his company, Bold Approach, at boldapproach.com. That's boldapproach.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the best takeaways for you to apply to your business. Abe, there was a lot here. What jumped out to you? Well, I guess the first big theme of Dave's approach to course building and, and one that might be a little different than some of the other experts we've spoken with was his focus on kind of really doing a lot of research and analysis to guide the courses and, and use that to inform the learning design that he and his team do for courses. So he shared, for example, about you know, running pretty in-depth surveys for a client's audience or, or mailing list, the community of people who would be interested in their courses and gathering that information before even deciding whether to do the course at all and bringing that rigor and that type of, of data analysis to the process is a really interesting and, and valuable way to approach it. And, and I think it's something we haven't talked about as much in previous conversations. Well, something Dave definitely brings here is the when you're creating a course in your own business, you're like doing it for the first time. You're not going to be an expert in creating courses because you're just, you know, you're doing it for the very first time. Whereas if you keep building courses and building courses, you obviously get better. And so Dave has the benefit of, of all of those reps. And I, I really liked how rigorous, but also there's a formulaic quality to this process. Like you always start with this research, then you always go to this step and you always figure out the pricing, then you always validate the business model and, you know, all that kind of stuff. What I also really liked about this is that it kind of opens an avenue for people who are like, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the world of online courses, and I like this idea, and this sounds like fun, interesting work. That doesn't mean you necessarily have to build a course based on your expertise for a market that you may or may not have access to, right? There are a lot of people with established followings who would love to have an online course in their business, and they don't have the time, energy, or wherewithal to go about building it. And so there's a definite business model there to say, hey, I can do this for you, whether, again, it's on a fee-for-service basis or a revenue share situation or, you know, whatever fits the circumstances. I think what Dave's work points to is that the flip side of what you're saying is, yeah, there, definitely there's tons of people that could be better serving their clients with courses and, and they're not doing so because they're not either seeing the opportunity or they don't have the time. But the other segment would be people who you know, have the following, have the audience, have expertise to share. They become aware of the, the value of courses. Maybe they've taken some themselves and they do just kind of like jump in and build it themselves, but without the expertise and, and perspective that someone like Dave brings. And so they, they wind up sort of being betwixt in between, right? Where they have sort of a, a course that's like, okay, but it's not really that effective in terms of learning design and engagement. It's not, you know, integrating a lot of the interesting techniques Dave talked about. And so it's not going to sell nearly as well or, or serve clients nearly as well as it could. So I guess that would be the, the flip side of the challenge is somehow we need to get more 
course creation and learning design expertise out to more people. In that situation, the downside isn't just that, you know, okay, so people aren't buying the course, but, you know, if you have a giant platform that is pushing people to your online courses and they're not great, there's a lot of like reputational risk to your business as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Anything that jumped out uh, to you in terms of like specific techniques or approaches Dave shared that you think we should highlight for people? Well, I thought the insight about distributed learning, as he called it, kind of the idea that you know, you want to be able to kind of the way you do with like a Netflix or a Slack where you have your account. It doesn't really matter if you're logging in on your computer or your tablet or your phone. It kind of knows where you were and allows you to pick up where you left off. That's an important functionality people are starting to expect, although a lot of course technologies, frankly, don't offer that yet because, you know, it's hard to do. The trend in general towards more granular content and course videos, we've seen a lot of that. But what, what I thought was really interesting was And he didn't kind of speak about this explicitly, but there's a sort of integration of instructional and course design with just marketing and persuasion, which, of course, this is his background, but you can't take for granted that, oh, they're in the course and so therefore they're motivated. Now let me teach you. It's like he's constantly looking at, well, how can I rehook their attention? How can I sell them on the value of this again? How can I get them more excited? How can I, if they're going to dip into these three lessons, how do I get them to go a little bit further? So really looking at baking that internal marketing piece throughout the course, I thought was a really good insight. Yeah, it was nice that he was able to give specific examples of that because that's not often something you get to hear. I had a lot of notes in very small print, but we covered them all. Okay, (laughs) excellent. All right, do the readout. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Riziku, here with Danny Eaney, founder and CEO of Miracy. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes Just Between Coaches, Making It, and Once Upon a Business. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Govertson assembled the episode. Danny Eaney is our executive producer, post-production by Post Office Sound. Another thanks to Dave Lacani for coming onto the show today. And remember that you can find out more about him at boldapproach.com. To make sure you don't miss the really great episodes coming up on Course Lab, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind-the-scenes kind of thing. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head-on. I'm Melinda Cohen, and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great framing. That's a that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just, you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, 
So while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah, because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. Why are you stopping the recording? This is going to be fun. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.